Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in Parshat Chukat. Chukat is often uh, read with uh, the Parshat immediately following Balak. So it's often referred to as Chukat Balak. Uh, this is one of those parshiot that's a double portion, right, that we, ta- we pull it apart in the year that we have four extra Shabbatot, four extra times that we need a Torah portion. So we are in Parshat Chukat. We are in the second triennial reading, second year of the triennial reading. So we're reading the middle hunk of every portion. We're in the middle hunk of Chukat, which puts us at chapter 20, verse 1. The Israelites arrived in a body at the wilderness of Zin on the first new moon, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. The community was was without water, and they joined against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses, saying, If only we had perished when our bodies, when our brothers perished at the instance of the Lord. Why have you brought the Lord's congregation into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die there? Why did you make us leave Egypt to bring us to this wretched place, a place with no grain or figs or vines or pomegranates? There's not even water to drink. Moses and Aaron came away from the congregation to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. The presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, You and your brother Aaron, take the rod and assemble the community. And before their very eyes, order the rock to yield its water. Thus you shall produce water for them from the rock and provide drink for the congregation and their beasts. Okay. <clears throat> the Israelites arrive, literally, from the Hebrew, if we don't look at the English and just look at the Hebrew, and the people of Israel came, all of the congregation Midbartzin to Midbartzin Bachodesh Harishon in the uh, first month is, is uh, what we often get the translation to be but Chodesh can also mean new moon so the first new moon Rosh Chodesh huh? we, we celebrate Rosh Chodesh Rosh means head, head of Chodesh is month but when you just see Chodesh it can mean the new moon, the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always, but sometimes it can mean that. So this might mean the first new moon. By right? So they, they stay at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Yes? All right. So what's the very next thing? What's the very next thing we get? They complain. No, before that. Before that. They were without water. Okay, below Hayamayim. And there wasn't anyone. Okay. So for the rabbis, this is revelation, people. Right? This is not what God forbid they're just telling us what happened. God forbid. This is this is instruction about life, about the nature of the universe, about deeper things. So there has to be a connection between the sentence, Miriam died, and there's no, water. There's no water. So what do the rabbis do? What do the rabbis say? Is it because? Is there because there? There's definitely a because there. Because Miriam was getting them the water. Ha. 
So this is where one of the places, the Midrashim, about the stories about Miriam being the one who provided them with water is from here. We just take it for granted. There was a magic well, <laughs> right? And as long as Miriam lived, they had water. We, we just take that for granted because it has successfully seeped into right our understanding of the desert narrative. But it isn't part of Torah. It is Midrash that comes from, we, we talk about the Torah being black fire on white fire. It comes from the white fire, the the space between the letters, the space between the words. That's where the rabbis read this. Vatamat Sham Miriam. Miriam died and was buried. And the very next thing is Velohaya Mayim La'eda. And there wasn't any water for the community. There must be a connection. Right. All right. So Miriam is the one who is to whom it's attributed that they had water. Uh, one midrash is that there was a big rock that rolled along next to the people. <laughs> and it gave the water right to the people um, and then when she died it stopped giving water I want you to hold that because it makes some sense I know it sounds silly um, but it makes some sense when we see what comes next there's a rock it rolls along with them and when they stop it becomes like a rock that is a well like it gives water Okay. also there's a paragraph here it shows a different paragraph in the English and in the Hebrew but in the Torah, it goes continually. Yes. Right. <laughs> so it's really hooked so We get spacing in the English right. that we don't have in the Torah. Right? You can see the spacing in the Torah because your book indicates it for you. Your book will give you a pay or a samech to say whether it's an open end of column or a closed end of column. Um, if you look in your text... Oh, I see. Okay. All right, so look at uh, the end of verse 6. Look at the end of verse 6, yes? Yes. All right, that pay means patuach. It's an open line to the end of, of, of that column in the Torah. So you know that you get us, there's a break there in the Torah. Yeah? All right. Okay, so... We've established Miriam dies, the community is without water, and then, then we go to what Bert said, <laughs> the, Miriam dies, there's no water, and what do the people do? Complain. Complain, right. I know, it's hard to believe, right, so it's very hard to believe. But the people, the Jews, complain, and what do Jews do when they complain? Do they just fetch? What, what comes before they <laughs> What comes before they complain? They usually blame God. So they blame somebody. Who they blame? Moses. The Jews blame their leaders. Right? We we've seen this how many times? As soon as something goes wrong, the Jews blame their leaders. We still and do that. Relevant. Thank you, Judith, for affirming my reality. Thank you. So, so yeah. So they they quarrel with Moses. They go to Moses, right, and say. If only we had died with our brothers who perished at the instance of God. What, what, what was that about? That was the, the tin pans or the metal. <laughs> the tin pans. Okay, you are thinking about music from the 20s, my friend. So not tin pan alley, right? They bring, right? They're fire pans, right? So this is the Korach rebellion. This is the people who got swallowed up by the earth 
and or those who got obliterated by bringing their pans. Their, their pans. Just last week. This happened just last week. Right? Um, but we're going to go to how it wasn't last week. Why, so why have you brought the Adah, right, of God into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die there? Why are they referencing beasts here? They didn't have water either. Because they didn't have water either. So who, who needs, who's going to die of thirst? The people and their flocks. Their flocks are their wealth. It's their food. It's their, right? They, they I mean, it's going to be their food. Right now, what's their food? Mana, right? They're collecting mana. Um, but, but it's going to be their food. It's their wealth for sure, right? So they're like, we're going to lose everything. Why did you make us leave Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? A place with no grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There's not even water. <laughs> they didn't have pomegranates and figs and vines anyway. Where? In the desert. And where else didn't they have that necessarily? Egypt. In Egypt. Where is it? Israel. Israel. So what are they saying? We want it. We're going there. Right? We're supposed to be going there, but we're going to die before, before we get there because there's no water. You promised us a place with, I mean, we don't have that in the text where Moses promises them that, but, but we know it's a place with grain and figs and pomegranates. That's what they were promised. And what are they getting? Sand. <laughs> All right. So the other thing that we have to know, the other thing that we have to know in this Parsha, Aaron dies. We know Aaron dies in the 40th year of the desert wandering. Last week, it was the generation who left Egypt. This week, it's the the 40th year. What does that mean? They're weathered. 38 years has passed and a whole generation has died. So the rabbis look at, it can't be, you can't have redundancies in the Torah, God forbid, right? God would never, never do Department of Redundancy Department. Never. So, Vayavau Bnei Israel and Bnei Israel came Koha Eda. All the congregation, what do the rabbis say Koha Eda means here? It's not a redundancy. God isn't a bad editor. The new generation. The whole community that would enter the land of Egypt. That's who arrives at Sin. Okay, so does that change our reading of this? It should. So, this is the new generation. Am I still clutching? <laughs> so either either it's genetic for the Jews kvetching, or they heard their parents kvetch. It's tradition. It's tradition. We can assume they kvetch for thirty-eight years. We don't have it. We, we don't have it. We jump thirty-eight years. We don't have it. Third, well, however much it was from the second year. They had a second year, and now we get to, right? So. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The new. (laughs) Thank you. Laura, just just keep putting it in. Um, The new generation is fetching. So either it's genetic or it's tradition. They heard it from their parents, or they have a legitimate complaint. They were promised. They don't have water. What are they supposed like? And they're like, really? 
You, we were told, our parents and grandparents told us we were going to a land with pomegranates and milk and honey and, and this, really? So you can kind of understand if this is the new generation, better we would have died with those other, with our people who are gone because we're going to now, thirst is a really, really terrible way to die. It is slow. It's agony. Agony. So they have what to eat. They have mana. But if they don't have water, they're going to die a very painful, slow death from thirst. Okay. So we could kind of forgive this Ada, maybe, for feeling like what they, the only person they could go to is Moses, right? And say, what gives? All right. So I want you to remember that because I want you to remember, I want you to remember that as we look at God's instructions to Moshe. All right. So Moshe and Aaron come away from the congregation. Moshe and Aaron have had some pretty gnarly experiences with rebellion, yes? Their lives have been pretty close to the line. So possibly Moshe and Aaron are having a PTSD response, right? And what do they do? They go to the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, and what is the appropriate thing to do there? Fall on your face. To acknowledge the greatness of God, what else might they be falling on their face about? To ask to beg. His oh, so that so let's hold that. Let's hold that. Moshe's sister died. What else? What falling on the face? What they, what might asking, they be doing? Asking for help. They may be trying to appease God. Mm-hmm. What happens when the people start this stuff usually? <laughs> Better we should have died. God's not very pleased, right? Generally, right? We've seen some pretty terrible things 38 years ago, right? So people incinerated, people swallowed by the earth, right? God, God is not generally very happy. Moshe and Aaron fall on their face at the place where they speak with God because they're propitiating God as they are wont to do. Don't destroy them. Okay? So. The kavod of God, the presence, the glory of God appears to them and speaks to Moshe saying, you and your brother Aaron, take the rod. What rod? It's Aaron's. Aaron's. Ah, we don't know, do we? <laughs> take the mate. Didn't we talk about a mate last week? Yes, we did. The almond blossoms, right? So either this is the mate that turned into almond blossoms last week. Where did they put it at the end of last week? In the tent of meeting. So now take it from the tent of meeting, and or this is Moshe's staff. And what did Moshe's staff do? (laughs) It has created water from rocks, but before that, what is the association with Moshe's staff? Parting the sea. Parting the sea. It turns into snake. It turns into a snake. It's a sign of magic and power. Mm-hmm. That staff. It, it did some pretty wicked stuff in Egypt, yes? Mm-hmm. We All still right. use the scepter for that in royalty. Sure, so it's a sign of authority. I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why they have a scepter. Right. We talked about this last week, right? The staff is the symbol of leadership and of identity and strength and power and sometimes magic, right? right. What, Harry Potter uses a wand. Why? Well, it's a well you need... You need the power stick, right, to do stuff. It's a very, very, very old, very ancient um, symbol and and tradition. Okay, so so, so that's what the association with Moshe's staff is, right? All right. So take your staff, 
assemble the Ada, assemble the community, and before their eyes, so with them as witness, it's important that they see this to God. This is important to God. Order the rock to yield its water. Thus you shall produce water for them from the rock and provide drink for the congregation and their beasts. There's a word in Hebrew that means to slake someone's thirst. That's the word used here. So we don't have that in English. Um, it's not you shall provide drink. It's you vehishkita etaam, and you will quench them. You will quench. You will quench the people. Like it is a caring word. It is a loving act that God, God gets. God does not seem to be angry. It's a new generation. They're freaking out. God seems to either have learned something. We're going to talk about that. What has God learned? Or and or. It's a different set of circumstances, and God is not angered by this particular group's freaking out. So God has a loving response. Okay, I get it. They're thirsty. I want you to take your staff. I want you and Aaron to go to the rock, and I want you to speak to it, and it's going to, it's going to quench my people. Okay? That, that's God's perspective. That, that's what's told to them. Yes. Well, God should have been providing water in the first place. Okay. So maybe God was reminded, wow. like, oh, I forgot one thing. Wow. Go to the rock. Go to the rock. <laughs> All right. So God forgot. God forbid. God forbid. Right. So God was waiting for them to ask. So if God is waiting for them to ask or demand or complain it's even more an argument that God's not upset with them maybe God set the whole thing up and then says okay they're, they finally asked and so I'm going to slake their thirst and complaining is how you get things done <laughs> if you complain to people who can do something yes, about it right. right that's a rule I was taught on a retreat only complain to someone who can do something about it you know how much complaining that stops 99.999% of complaining stops if you only complain to someone who can do something about it alright so, so possibly God sets this up but God whatever it is God does not seem at all angry here. God, God is okay with this. And so, yo, I heard that. You don't think God's angry? So, do you yeah. think God's angry? No. Oh, okay. I thought you were going. Mm. Okay. No. God, water. It's not an Xbox. But this, this is also right. So, so it is. It is a necessity. That's the other thing we need to remember. It's not an Xbox, as Laura points out. Right? It is. This is a necessity. The they're they're not complaining about video game or it's not. It's not some silly movie. They're they're not complaining about not having chocolate cake right after the mana. They're complaining about. The thing that sustains life in the desert. The only way to sustain life in the desert environment is to make sure you have enough water. Doesn't okay. the rock, don't springs come through rocks? Isn't there a sense that what, what's going on here is not just water coming out of a rock, but that it's a, somehow it triggers a spring? So always, what are miracles about? They're not about things that don't happen. They're unnatural, though. Either they are exaggerated, mm. that the sea parts. Mm -hmm. We know that there's so many scientific explanations for all of the, the ten plagues. What have we talked about in here, though? It's not about something that doesn't occur in nature. What makes it a miracle, Bert? Mm -hmm. What makes it a miracle? Moses can do it. That got on demand. It's unexplained. It happens, but we're not quite sure why at that time. At that time. 
Why at that moment does whatever it is happen? Yeah, locusts come and consume everything. Yes, but why now at this moment when Moshe says, let my people go or else, boom, then the locusts, right? So it's it's never about something that, I mean, generally the sun doesn't usually stop in the sky, but so it's not, it's not always true, but usually the miracle is not something that doesn't happen in nature. It's about it's intensified and it happens at that exact moment. Which we use to explain the reason that it happened. Huh? That it happened at that time, we then find a reason that it happened at that time. And that's the story. Well, the reason is because God said so. Right, right. Right, right. Moshe took... Oh, sorry. It's your turn, Bert. Uh, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron assembled the congregation in front of the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we get water for you out of the rock? And Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Out came copious water, and the community and their beasts drank. Go on. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Israelite people, Therefore, you shall not lead this congregation into the land that I have given them. Those are the waters of Meribah, meaning that the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, through which he affirmed his sanctity. Okay, so now now we're getting to the tricky part. Now we're getting to the tricky part. All right, so Moshe takes the rod from before God. This is what suggests that it's in the Ohel Moed, it's in the tent of meeting. He takes it, Milifnei Adonai, from before God. That means it's, if it's before God, where is it? In the tent of meeting. So he takes it from before God. Tell me what happened last time Moses had a rod and was told to get water from a rock. He, he was furious and he threw No. He's doubting? No. Last time Moses was told, take your staff, and he had to get water from a rock. What was he told to do? He was told to just lift it, and he hit the rock with it. This time. Everyone's confusing that with this time. There was another time. There was another time. In Exodus. Oh, my gosh. Last time in Exodus, they wanted water. There was no water. God said, take your staff and hit the rock. No, in Exodus, before, years ago, 38 years ago. God said, take your staff, hit the rock, and the rock will bring forth water. Moshe hit the rock, and the rock brought forth water. Okay, so God says, take your staff and go tell the rock. <laughs> Speak to the rock and tell it to bring forth water. Oh. He did it. He did it. So he, he did the old thing. So, all right, so do you see what I'm setting up here? So, so okay, so we, because we, we have a problem now. We have a problem. What's the problem? Moshe's told he's not going to lead the people into the promised land because he did not sanctify God before the people. Really? He's not going to make it to the promised land because he, he what? So now we have to figure out 
What? This is a pretty big consequence for something. Didn't give God Okay, we're going to go there. Sheldon? Well, it wasn't hitting the rock. It was the fact that when they started complaining, he didn't tell them about it. He didn't speak to these Israelites and explain to them the power of God. Explain to the new generation. He just immediately went to the tent of meeting. So God is thinking, these two people, Aaron and Moses, are too old to lead the new generation. Okay, so... What are the possibilities of the sin that they commit? Um, so, Sheldon, you're suggesting that Moshe didn't talk to the people. He didn't address them. He didn't address their concern. He didn't defend God. Yeah. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. He didn't address them. You're saying he shouldn't have gone right to God. Well, he didn't, he didn't uh, act as a leader, as a and. and, and Talk about the sanctity of God. So, There's a I, new generation that needs some instruction. So I'm going to say, he didn't, he, as a leader, he didn't comfort them. They're freaking out. So some sources say, this is the problem. He did, not only did he not talk to them, instruct them, and comfort them, what did he do instead of that? He just went straight he yelled to at them. them. He, them he yelled at them. And insulted them. What did, he called them... You rebels, <laughs> which in a cog- it's a cognate of another word in a close language, which means fools. So it's he's insulting them. He's calling them names, which might suggest <laughs> that Moses is too old. So if we go to what God has learned. It may be that God has learned that Moshe is burned out. He's too old. He's not the one to lead the new generation that needs a leader who's going to instruct them and respect them and get it that they're flipping out. They've never seen a lot of this before. If they saw it, they were kids and didn't know what was happening. You just you take a stick and you hit a rock and water comes out. That's what you do. In the de- like, they don't know. They were, they were young. It was their parents and grandparents who learned the lessons. Well, they're Jews. They really never learned the lesson. But um, All right. So that's one possibility. What's another one? Didn't give God credit. How did he not give God credit? He didn't tell them to trust. Because it was God that gave the instruction. But he, he did it himself and not giving. Uh, but where do we see the proof that he didn't give God the credit? He just it's right here. And did it. No. We shall, we shall, we, meaning Aaron. Yeah. Shall we get water we from this water. rock for you? That's where the rabbis find proof that Moshe did not give God credit. It could have looked like they were taking credit. Shall we get water from this rock for you, you ungrateful, rebel, mm. stupid people? Shouldn't the we include God? Clearly God doesn't, if you're going with this argument that this is the sin, then clearly God doesn't think so. Right? You didn't sanctify me in front of the people. If you're using this argument that this is the problem, then no. God doesn't say, God doesn't think it's enough to say the inclusive we because it's not we it isn't we it's me right right there's no we you don't have any power as as a human you are simply my prophet you are my agent 
It is I, God, who am the power that makes for these things in the universe. And if you muddy that at all, where do these people come from? Where do they come from? Egypt. Egypt, slaves. Right? The leader in Egypt is a God. It's a deity. You can't say we. Because you can't you confuse. that you can't confuse these people whose leader has been worshipped as a god. If you start saying we, you, you're, 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 that's idolatry already. Okay, so we can. So that's plausible. But right. what what else might have been? God the sin. appears to have evolved <laughs> because God is giving now a new instruction, <clears throat> and Moses is still sticking with the old instruction and not listening to what God is saying today, but only listening to yesterday. Okay, so then what's the sin? Anger. Not listening. How do we know he didn't listen? Because he didn't do what God said. What did he do? He hit the rock. He hit the rock. All right, so some commentators want to say he hit the rock. He, He disobeyed God's direct order. Okay. So why is that such an incredibly big deal that so he struck it he struck it before and it worked God told him take your staff isn't it plausible that Moses thought I'm supposed to do the same thing and then maybe I'm supposed to say something mm-hmm. but he's assuming he has so the power of it. so it's a it's a lack of humility on Moses's part like he's not present he's not attuned to God. He's, he's doing the old thing. He's assuming that since God said take your staff or your rod, hit the rock, but he did, he's not listening at the same profound level that he did before. So either there's a change in Moses who was able to be present and really understand the message and the instruction before, and even if, there, even if that he, it, it's not that he can't, he doesn't hear. Right? Even if he heard the instruction and understood it, something got in his way of doing it the way God said. He's, he's, it's a complete lack of humility from the most humble man on the planet right? that the rabbis call Moshe. He takes it upon himself to do the old thing. All right, so I want to go into the old thing. Some of our commentators say it's not so much, and maybe, mm-hmm. just in this case, it's not so much that God has evolved, it's that God understands slaves who came from Egypt needed mm-hmm. the power, staff, beating, mm-hmm. showing you're powerful for the water to come. Mm-hmm. But what's happened from then till now? They have received Ten Commandments. <laughs> Torah. They have received instruction about how to live. So God wants this generation that doesn't know from slavery, this generation needs to understand and to learn that the power is in the word. The power is in speech. Speak to the rock. Let the people see. You don't need to beat something with a staff. That's the old way. That's how it used to be. Now, with this generation, God wants the word loving. It's a loving act. Speak gently. Speak respectfully to an inanimate object. If you're going to speak that way to an inanimate object, how much more so should we address living beings 
with gentleness and respect that gets us a lot more water that gets us a lot further it gets us nourishment it gives life and what does Moshe do he hits the rock he he goes exactly and we're going to get there he goes exactly against the lesson that God is trying to teach the people before their eyes God wants them to witness says this interpretation the power of speech and a new gentle way right to communicate to the people that God is a loving God who's going to take care of them and instead Moshe reverts to the old way takes the power symbol and hits the rock which is exactly opposite of what God was trying to communicate and some commentators say that could have been forgiven but he does it again is he an old dog that can't be taught a new trick so this is the question and what Stella is suggesting is not all, and maybe not that he's he's stuck Mm-hmm. In the old world. He's, he's, Moshe's stuck in a paradigm of leadership. Look, the guy's been traumatized. He didn't want this job in the first place. <laughs> Leading the Jews? Like, really? Right, so he didn't want the job in the first place. And then they turn on him. How many times were he and Aaron almost killed by the mob, right? And so he's traumatized. And, like, the only thing he, he's, he's stuck in that and there's one comment there's one modern commentator who said he's stuck on the victim perpetrator rescuer triangle right he's stuck as the rescuer right and god is about to jump off that triangle and break the cycle and moshe can't handle it they're the victims right we got the victims we got the people they're always the victims in these situations right M- moshe's the rescuer right so and God's the perpetrator, right? God hasn't given us water. So God's the, the villain. The people are the victim. Well, then you need a rescuer. And if God is going to take care of them and show them, I love you. I'm here for you. I am not a perpetrator. I am your caregiver. We're partners. Where does that leave the rescuer? Leaves a rescuer without a job. And when you start met monkeying with one of those positions in the family dynamic, what happens? Right? The dance of anger. When somebody stops dancing, the other person gets very, very upset that you're breaking the pattern. Even if it's a horrible, terrible cycle of drama and pain and dysfunction, it's familiar. We know this. We know how to do this. I get to be the victim. I'm very good at that. Thank you very much. Right? So, or I have my cape ready because I'm the great rescuer. So it, everyone gets very upset when the system gets shaken up. And so that is a modern interpretation of Moshe can't get off the drama triangle. Sarah. If God is so wonderful, I'm going to assume why. Because it seems that God is pretty clear. Take your staff, go speak to the rock, 
and you will slake the thirst of the people. So it seems what seems, well, if either it's not clear or Moshe can't hear it or interpret it correctly, but so maybe it's the why, like why Moshe needs to do it differently this time. Is that what's missing? Well, I, if, if I can piggyback on what you're saying, it sounds like you're saying, well, he could have had an Abraham moment, where just at the moment when he was going to slay his son, God comes in and says, stop. And God didn't come in and say, stop. Ah, so God could have stopped Moshe from doing this. He had listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> you should always listen to Stell, I'm telling you. And besides that, I mean, it almost seems like all the way along, God gives instructions to Moses. You know, I, I don't know that he thought up all of these things that he'd done to be a leader by himself. That, that doctor God has been sort of guiding him or telling him. And he just went ahead before he got the next set of instructions, maybe. Well, he got instruction. Take the rod, speak to the rock, and, and, and slake the shot. thirst of the people. So he got those instructions, says, but doesn't do that. It says talk to the rock, right? Yes, right. which he doesn't do. Doesn't this also stop that whole triangle through the rest of Jewish history with no. No, <laughs> that is the sin. Oh, That's the sin. Had Moshe gotten off the triangle, there could have been a whole new relationship between God and the people Israel. That is why he's punished so severely, says this commentary, because he didn't do it. The people saw him hit the rock and water comes and they go right back. So they go right back, back to the old system, and because of that, they continue to complain <laughs> the rest of the time <laughs> into <laughs> today. But do they ha- did they have a rescuer from that point on who played the rescue role what, what, for all the Jews? Well, we, we see them continue to mess up and yes, continue to was, lick. But was there anybody acting as a rescuer from that point on? Well, it depends. I mean, it depends how you want to interpret rescuer. So, and we could have that conversation. But, but the point is, for the rest of the Torah, we're stuck, says this interpretation. And looking for a for, rescuer. For, on yeah. the victim, perpetrator. But right. We're, we're right back because Moshe couldn't get out of the do world. what was necessary and couldn't get out of it himself. I saw a hand over here. Robert? Well... I guess I'm looking at this sort of simplistically. Okay. Not quite as theoretically. There has to be some then walk to this story. There has to be what? There has to be an an, an ending to this wonderful story. Which wonderful story? Uh, um, (laughs) That that God took us from Egypt and brought us to the promised land. Uh huh. So the denouement is that. And then it ends with Moses? God makes a decision that the people that he took out can't make it. He's got to wait for the new generation. How, how is he going to? How's, how is this wonderful story going to end? Because uh, I'm sorry, to some degree, I look at it as a as a story, well, <laughs> not as, as something actually written down by God. And um, there's some serious. As opposed to the rest of us in this room who take this as a literal revealed word of God. Wrap this story up uh, because you've gotten so far that the, the principle of it is that God is the one who took you out of the land of Egypt and brought you into this wonderful new place. 
So, we, so <clears throat> I hear you saying that there has to be a way to begin to wind it down, and this is the beginning, and this is the way the authors begin to wind it down. Is and, and there are people who say absolutely because all three leaders die essentially die in this parsha. Even though Moshe's going to make it to the end of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. The, the the other thing that is uh, that, that's happened here that is really important it, it is. This issue of the sanctity of God. I mean, if you talk about, you know, what, what is the, 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 uh, the uh, teaching message of this particular passage? We've been heard this one before, that, that um, the sanctity of God is a big issue, mm-hmm. that I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt is a big issue. And they're just they're right on the table here. So that's sort of how I read. Well, okay, it has to be wrapped up. And, and this is the way to begin doing it. We, okay, so this is the way we wrap it up, and we've got to get rid of all the so, remaining leaders. So right here, we've got the death of the last of the people, according to tradition. The last of the people has died that was from that generation. So we have a new people, and a new people is going to need new leadership. And all three die here. Moshe, I, I mean... Aharon, Miriam, and Moshe's death sentence is given here. Like he's condemned here, even though he's got to get them right to the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Deuteronomy isn't a bunch of happenings. Deuteronomy is his farewell address, right? So the book of the end, the end of his doing anything is at the end of the book of Numbers. And by the way, from here on, Moshe never again acts on behalf of God from here on out, ever. Now it's God talking. You know, or instruct the people, but Moshe never again has any kind of staff miracle. You know, something big, showy, fireworks thing again and from this point is on. Like Moshe did. Is there? It, it depends. I'm going to say again, it depends. The people look to the judges, the people look to the king, the people look for Mashiach. The pe- they don't stop stories looking there. for a rescuer. Right. right? They, they, that continues. That's that obvious as Moshe. Well, correct. All right, so. So I don't know, something else is a part of me. could be totally wrong. There isn't such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but since God is the comforter and the bringer of healing, etc., even though he's saying, even though he's saying, because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Israelite people, therefore you shall not leave this congregation its land that I have given them. And on the surface, it's a punishment. It's only a punishment for Moses' ego. It's actually a deliverance from <laughs> the role he never really wanted in the first place back to you can retire now. Or really soon. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's go back to, I was going to say, let's go back to Nadav and Avihu. The two sons of Aaron who are consumed when they bring the incense offering. We said it could be a punishment. We said it could be just a consequence when you bring an un- a not ordered sacrifice. This is what happens. A fire goes out from before God. That's just what happens. It's a nuclear or whatever. What was the third possibility? It could be exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be closer to God. Well, guess what? Now you are like they were incinerated by the fire of God. They become they become one with God, which is what they wanted. Maybe it's not a punishment. This is absolutely one interpretation that Moshe's just he's too old. He's stuck. He's not the leader for this generation. And God realizes, you know what? Moshe is allowed to retire. How does Moses die? 
Does God say, that's it, your carcass is going to drop, they get to the border and Moses is gone? Like drops? No. How does Moses die? How does Moses die? Moses, it's in the Torah. It is in the Torah. Moses dies by the kiss of God. Moses dies with a kiss. This is how humanity is given their soul by God. God breathes this neshama into Adam, the earthling. And when Moshe dies, it is only Moshe that we are told dies by the kiss of God. An intimate act of God taking back Moshe, I mean, you could imagine, taking back the Ruach Adonai, the spirit of God, into God's self. So he doesn't, in that reading, doesn't kill Moses. God kisses Moshe and says, come back to me, come home. You've, you know what? I see that it, this is just not for you anymore. You're becoming somebody I don't recognize, somebody you don't want to be. Like, he's so angry. He, the rabbis say, hit something once, okay, you lost your temper. Hitting it twice is it's now a character flaw. You're an angry person, right? And then if we read that kindly through this lens, then it's that God is like, oh my gosh, Moshe has, has become somebody that's not him anymore. Why would I want him to continue down that road. It's like somebody, you're, and I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, I, I mean this sincerely, the dog that you love that's dying, we put them down. Why do we put them down? Because, and we're even starting to do it in hospices, why would you want someone you love to go down a road that you know is only gonna get grimmer and worse? And they become less and less themselves. The, the, the self that they loved. Why would you, if you can stop that, why wouldn't you? So God, in a sense, euthanizes Moshe, right? And God says, come, come home. Come back to me. And kisses Moshe to his end. And that that is a, it just, it happens to all of us. But not that way, necessarily. I mean, I, I would love to interpret that as we all, at the end, die by the kiss of God, taking back what was given to us as a temporary gift, right? This body, right? That God takes back the spirit that, because it becomes part of God. What else can happen? That part of us that is God can't do anything else but be God, Right? A wave. What happens? A wave like has this trajectory in the world, a space and time in which it is a wave. Right? And then what happens? It crashes on the shore. Did the wave get destroyed? No. The wave went back to being ocean. Right? So in that interpretation, when, when we have this, I have the Amy Bernstein wave, right? And when that is gone, it's not that Amy Bernstein is gone. It's that I... Return to being ocean, which I always was. So it makes sense that right the the body, this temporary experience goes, but but what's not of us, what is of the divine flame, has has always been, will always be divine. It's not that God takes it back, like it was somewhere, and God's taking it back. It's that that's what happens. It, it returns to being just God, not. This and God. Okay. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like the science behind it. Like it's not 
It's just energy. It's just moving. It's traveling. It's not created or destroyed. Even with the wave, there's the energy as it's building into like the crest, and then it comes back down to the trough. But it's not. Says the surf instructor. <laughs> yeah. So it's just. It's not. Yeah. It's just traveling. It's just moving. And that's what we are. It's kind of like in this, in this reality, this earth moving in time and space. But we're not created or destroyed. That. Absolutely is the reading. If we if we want to stay with this, it's not a punishment. Absolutely, that it's describing that Moshe's time, this energy, this wave business, God knows it's done, and so this is the natural consequence. And not just for Moses, but for the people. Who need a different leader, right? Who need a new a new generation of leaders? Okay. So, I don't know if you know, but um, at this moment, okay, I'm going to try not to cry. At this moment, my daughter is being helicoptered into the Grand Canyon for an eight-day river trip with two of our friends who gave this to her as her bat mitzvah present. Wow. So, you can imagine, like, I'm not exactly all here when I'm not in, with y'all. I'm not exactly all don't here. Don't start hitting rocks. Right? right? Don't go there, right? Um, both, except I do, my days of sleeping on the ground are for sure over. Like that, so I, I do not envy them needing to poop on a tarp and wrap it up and hand it to the guide. Like, I, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for that visual, right? Glad I could help. She'll come back strong. <laughs> so I was preparing last night uh, for today. And as you know, I love to check um, Aviva Zornberg and just see what she has to say. So she says, and this is just about, I just, the, just the cosmic, right, that it's all connected. She says there is something uncanny about this hidden passage of time, right? The 38 years that we don't, mm-hmm. that we don't get described, right? There is something uncanny about this hidden passage of time with its harvest of so many deaths, A new generation is suddenly identified in the Midrash, but in the Torah, the intervening 38 years go unrecorded. Suddenly, the people arrive at Kadesh, at the border of Edom, at the threshold of the Promised Land. In the blink of an eye, we find ourselves looking back at the unrecorded wilderness trauma. Like a traveler whose sense of continuous time and space is disrupted by a sudden sight, of the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Not making this up, people. The reader moves from the story of Korah, for whom the earth opened and closed, to our narrative of the rock. What had seemed continuous is revealed as an abyss. Lest we think it is not all... Connected. Right. Okay. Let's hope that doesn't mean I die right, for that to happen. How do I know my daughter li- really likes something that I'm wearing, like a piece of jewelry? She says, "Do I get that when you die?" <laughs> Can I wear it tomorrow? <laughs> That's how I know she really likes it. All right, so who else? So that's why I said you get everything when I die. Have I not explained this to you a million times? 
<laughs> so I'm going to leave you with a commentary uh, very much about our times today. So um, a bore, how do you spell cistern? C-I-S-T-E-R-N. Okay. So a bore is a cistern. And that's, here's how you would read that in English. Oh. And then there's Be'er. So bore is cistern, something that holds water. What is Be'er? Yes, a well. Okay. What's the difference? Huh? I think a cistern you can carry. Ah, no, a cistern is something that you carve into the side of a mountain and put plaster on it, and it collects rain. It's under cities quite often. So what's the difference between a cistern and a well? Well, One's natural. It's natural. The well is natural. What else? One provides water and one stores water. One provides water and one stores water. One stores a limited amount of water, just however big the cistern is. A well, it is an endless supply. Well, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it Still unbelievable. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give this to you so you don't have to worry about it, but I don't want to take the time. I know we're running late. I don't want to take the time to um, distribute it right now. So this is from Rabbi Sharon Cohen Anisfeld, who is the president-elect of Hebrew College. Um, I know her from my days in Philadelphia. She was before me, classes before me. Um, amazingly wonderful, thoughtful, brilliant person. We get a be'er in this week's Parsha. We, we have a be'er, not in the portion that we read, but there's a be'er, they find a be'er. But this is all about water. This whole Parsha, right, is about the dynamics of water because of how important it is, life-giving, right? It's the source of life in the desert, blah, 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 blah. So if you look technically at these two words, bor and be'er, what's the difference in Hebrew? What makes the difference between bor and be'er? <laughs> now, the olive. Talk to me about the olive. What's the significance? It's the beginning. The, be- the beginning of what? It's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It's the first, what's the first word of the Ten Commandments? Anochi. I, Adonai, am your God. Anochi starts with the letter. The Midrash, one Midrash, we have many Midrashim. One Midrash says that, what did the people hear at Revelation? Silence. The Aleph, which is silent. The Aleph of Anochi is the only thing that people heard. The silence that preceded revelation mm-hmm. in words. That's what the people heard. That's, so this stands for revelation. It stands for the silence that contains all wisdom. So Rabbi Annas Cohen Annasfeld plays with that. She says the difference is one letter, and she quotes the Svadimet. You've heard me quote the Svadimet many times. The Aleph is the gateway to God's goodness and to the source of the deepest and most nourishing Torah. The Aleph signifies learning that is connected to the source of all life. This is the difference between Bor and Be'er. The cistern just contains gathered water. Its contents are limited by the size of the vessel that contains them. The well, on the other hand, is joined directly to the source of an ever-flowing spring. 
Add an olive to the word bore, and the cistern is transformed into a living well. Add an olive to our study of Torah, and we ourselves are transformed. Our learning has the potential to connect us to the ever-flowing spring that lies at the heart of all life, to the deep waters that connect and sustain us all. True study of Torah is connected to life. True study of Torah connects us to the source of all life. There are windows on the walls of our Beit Midrash, right, where we study, and we look outside of them every day. We look at the breathtaking beauty of the world around us, and we also look out at the heart-stopping cruelty of the world around us. And we ask ourselves, what does Torah have to say about this world of ours? What does Torah demand of us today? This week... It is impossible to read about the sustaining waters that the Israelites encountered on, encountered on their desert journey without thinking of the immigrants who are arriving at our borders, hoping for relief from their own harrowing journeys, and instead finding themselves faced with officials, italics, following orders, to separate families and tear children from their parents' arms. The plain intent to make the experience at our border so profoundly brutal that it will deter future immigrants and asylum seekers from even trying to enter. To craft such a policy, to enforce such a policy, demands a willful, for, willful forgetfulness, <laughs> a willful forgetfulness and failure of imagination. The person following such orders cannot allow himself to think of his own child's cry for help. The person following such orders cannot afford to remember what it felt like to be a child in need of safety and protection. The person following such orders has to have found a way, at least temporarily, to forget that we are all children of God, to forget that we all thirst for the same water, to forget that we are all nourished by the same ever-flowing spring. We are all implicated in this policy as long as we allow it to be carried out in our name. Wherever we are, May we find ways to overcome the collective forgetfulness and failure of imagination that has brought us to this place. May we merit the study of Torah that helps us find our way back to each other, back to the source of all life, back to the flowing waters, back to the softened heart. In the words of W.H. Auden, in the deserts of the heart, let the healing fountain start. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.